God's word says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I want to hear then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. We uh, inaugurated our new president this past week. And we know for many there's lots of excitement and for others there's a lot of fear and there are mixed emotions undoubtedly as there are with every presidency. Um, We need to faithfully pray for our president, Donald Trump. No matter where you stand on the political spectrum, we have an obligation It's not just an opportunity, it's an obligation to pray for the leaders of our land. And um, I want to open up doing just that. I want us to set an example and see how we can pray for people, whether or not we agree with their um, political ideas, their ideology, their um, understanding of culture. And uh, we're not going to have a discussion here about that, but church, we need to pray. We need to pray for our president, and for our nation. So will you bow with me as we open up here? Father in heaven, <clears throat> I'm just so glad, God, that you hear us. God, my heart is, um, it is just so stirred this morning, singing the good news of Jesus. God, God every, every word that came out there, Lord, we, we just say yes and Amen. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. You washed it white as snow. You came to our rescue, oh God. And it was at the cross that you did this. So we do owe all of who we are back to you. God, we we live in a nation that is very divided right now, and there's no secret about that. There are many apprehensions about our new president because of things he said over the last year or more. And others have some encouragement because of different ideas he has. And Lord, at the end of the day, no matter where we fall on this, Lord, you call us to pray for the leaders of our land. And God, I do ask, Lord, that he would be a man who humbles himself before you. God, I pray that he would be a man who surrounds himself with godly counselors. And that those counselors would have courage as they give direction and guidance. Father, I pray that we, the church, would not put our hope in our politicians, God. Lord, we know better. No matter who is in our country. And so, Lord, we know this. And Lord, we pray that your church would be salt on this earth, and light in the midst of darkness, God. God, I pray that we would not look around waiting for someone else to do something, but that we would say, we are the church of Jesus. He is our king. There is a kingdom, and we're called to advance it. So whether or not our society and government is for the church or against the church, is for what you stand for, God, or against what you stand for, God, we will stand. And so help us, the church, have the courage to do that. May we be marked by our love for each other. May it be undeniable that we are your followers because of the way that we love God. And so, Lord, we are encouraged these days. Though there's many uncertainties ahead of us, Lord, as there always are, we are encouraged because as often as said, we don't know who, what the future holds, but indeed we know who holds the future. 
So we bring these prayers before you, Lord. We bring our city of Chicago before you. We bring these communities that surround us before you, Lord. We pray you would rock it with the good news of Jesus. Lord, bless the churches in our neighborhood. We are so grateful, God, that we are not alone in Montclair. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for other churches like New Life Community in Montclair, for for City Lights, for Belmont Assembly, for Victory Worship Center, for Bethany Baptist Church, God. And, And it goes on and on. Belmont Assembly of God, there are so many churches around us, and we thank you, Lord. We're not alone in this great task of reaching people with your good news. So, Lord, may you cause these churches to flourish, God. Cause revival to spark there, and may that same thing happen here, God. And, Lord, I pray that people in our community would see a united church about your business, God. Today, Lord, I ask that you speak through me, God. Your spirit would empower me. Father, for all of us, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, and hearts to receive your word. We believe you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, man, it's good to be back. I missed you guys last week, as I always do when I'm away from you guys. Come back, and there's a wall missing in our building here. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to talking to you guys and sharing what's going on here at the Brook. We had a demolition day yesterday, and all the guys who are holding their backs like this, we thank them for tearing down that wall. Uh, yes. <laughs> During our vision luncheon, we're going to tell you what that's all about, <laughs> what, what we think God is calling us to do here. And so just a reminder, the vision luncheon is for everybody, all right? You might be new to the brook, and something here is stirring. You're like, I want to learn more about this. Come on down. All right, we, we should have plenty of food down there. And just come, uh, take some food, grab a seat, and we'll get the luncheon started shortly. But this is for everybody here in this room right now for you to come and join us. We'd love for you to hear what God is doing because it's exciting. And we're believing him for great things in 2017. And just also to reiterate an announcement Jeremy made about our February 10th uh, dinner, the Valentine dinner we're doing. We really want everyone who desires to be there to be there. Marrieds and singles together. What I love is this. God has given a unique call to singles and a unique call to marrieds. But if singles only hang with singles and marrieds only hang with marrieds, they're missing something that the other could offer. And I love when together we say, hey, in my place in life, I've got something to offer you. And in your place in life, you have something to offer me. And together we can have fun. We can enjoy uh, an evening, a dinner together. So I really hope all of you would consider being there. Um, As you might imagine, our space is limited downstairs, so our spots will be limited. So don't linger on that thing. Um, If you're interested in coming, put your name down. See JJ and Sonette. JJ, can you raise your hand? Talk with JJ. Put put your name down with him. Uh, He'll be collecting the $10 as well for the dinner. And uh, we look forward to having as many people there as possible. Well, today we're going to continue our series on prayer. It's called Pray It Up. And that's what we got to do if we're going to see God move among us. We need to pray it up because he calls us to do that. And we've covered two different themes up to this point, and today we're taking on a third theme. The first uh, week we opened the series, we said, let's pray, uh, let's grow together. Let's grow together. And the reason for that is we want to make growing in our Christian faith a matter of prayer because you got to be purposeful about it. Plants don't grow by themselves. you got to plant them in good soil. you got to give them adequate sunlight. you got to water them properly for a plant to flourish. And the same thing is for our own spiritual lives, for us to grow. And so we got to pray, saying, God, help me grow. Help me grow. The second thing we covered last week was let's go together. And as Jeremy mentioned, we've got a community. We're surrounded by 42,000 people within a one-mile radius of where you're sitting right now. 
42,000 people. People need to hear Jesus. And so we're excited about getting out there and setting goals to do it, not so we can say, hey, look at me, I locked out seven in one day. But we want, we want people to know the good news of Jesus. We want them to hear it, and we want to spur each other on by doing that. And today, the third thing we're talking about this week and next week is let's give together. So when I say let's give, I want you to say it together. You got it? So let's give. Together. Let's give we want to give together because God has given us opportunities to use the things he's given to us to turn around and bless others and advance this good news. Now, I know that every week we have people gathering here, and I just love it. And I love when we see new faces. We do every Sunday. And we know that some have been a regular part of the brook, and we know that some of you are exploring this Christian faith. You, you're not sure where you stand. But you know that God's doing something here, and you're attracted by it. Well, we want you to know is that this is a safe place for you to explore the faith. But we also want you to know that we stand on a foundation, and that's this Bible right here. And the foundation is this, that Jesus came to save you from the sin in your life. Not just the stuff people know about, but the stuff that you want to keep under wraps. Jesus came for that. But he calls us to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you to turn, turn me away from my sin and turn to you. That's faith, and that's called repentance, turning away. And when you do that, you become adopted into God's family. And he gives you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And one day when you die, you will be with God forever, and you will receive all the goodness that he has to offer you. But so long as we're in this life, we want to take what he gives to us and turn it around and give it to others. And that's where giving together comes. We're going to talk about being generous today. And the Bible talks a lot about finances, about money, about generosity. It says this in 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, being content. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then Paul says this. I want you to hear it. It's often misquoted. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that becomes a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. See, God throughout the Bible says money is not a bad thing, it's a great thing, and I hope you make a lot of it. But he gives us money in order to be generous with it. And so we're going to talk about generosity today and how to use things God has given us to give to others, and ultimately we want to let's give. Man, that was sad. Let's give. Together. Yeah. In our passage today, interestingly, the word money is not mentioned. The word money is not mentioned. Dollar amounts are not mentioned. And percentages are not mentioned. But it's the, one of the primary passages in the New Testament in the Bible about giving. And here's the reason why. Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, which we're going to be in, he realizes then when you start talking about money, right away we think business. We think of, 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 of different kinds of things. And he wants us to have a perspective about money that is theological. That, that our money and our usage of our money matters and it stems from what we believe. 
And he's going to keep it on that plane of what we believe and call us to be generous. And so we find ourselves in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to be digging in verses 1 through 15. As we often say, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. There's a blue Bible there. If you don't own a Bible, please take the one in front of you home, really. We want you to have it. Uh, We don't want you to be without the Bible because through the Bible, God speaks. And who doesn't want to hear from God? So the Bible's there for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've got a pew Bible and you know the page number, can you tell us? All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What page? 967. 967. All right, so here's the thrust of this passage. It's this. Generosity is a loving response the joyful Christian cannot resist. Generosity is the loving response the joyful Christian cannot resist. I'm going to give you some background on this. I mentioned this guy named Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. He used to hate Jesus. Now he loves Jesus. He used to kill Christians. Now he's making Christians. He loves God because God changed his life one day. He was on a road, and he had a vision of Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, you need me more than anything. And Paul recognized, man, I need you. Forgive me. I'm going to follow you with all that I have. And throughout the rest of the New Testament of the Bible, he's going on from one city to the other telling people about Jesus. And now he's writing to a city uh, called Corinth. It's near modern-day Athens, so it's in the area of Greece. It's in Greece. And he's writing a letter to these people, these Corinthians, encouraging them to be generous. Now, here's how the process went. He sent a guy named Titus. The book of Titus is named after him. He sent Titus to these people in in Corinth to, to encourage them on the one hand and to rebuke them about some other things that were going on in the church. They had some messy stuff going on. And Paul sent Titus to kind of set things straight. But he also sent Titus with a message. And the message was this. Titus said to them, hey, you have brothers and sisters in the city of Jerusalem who are starving to death. They are poor beyond poor. They are stricken with poverty. And you people who live in Corinth have been given great wealth because of where you live. You live in a wealthy city in a wealthy nation. And Titus says, I want you guys to give generously to come to the aid of your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem because, man, they're struggling. Well, Titus went to the trip, made the message, came back. Paul's a little anxious, like, hey, how did they receive that? Titus comes back and says, hey, they received the message well. They received the rebuke well, and they received the call to give well. And so the Corinthians now were starting to collect money as a church And Paul's like, I'm going to go and visit them one day, and I want that money to be ready because we got to go from there to Jerusalem and drop off the money to help the church. But before he goes, he's thinking again, man, I really want to make sure they're ready when I get there. So he sends Titus back a second time. Titus, make sure they're ready. And Titus goes. He's like, hey, guys, are you sure you're ready? Because Paul's coming. He he doesn't got a lot of time. He's got to come grab the money. He's got to go and bless the other church. And they're like, we're ready. So Titus comes back. It's like, Paul, it's good. They're ready to go. And Paul's like, excited. He's excited. He writes this letter just stirring them, saying, hey, make sure you're ready. Make sure you're generous. Don't don't be uh, penny-pinching here. He says, I know what you've got. I know you can help. And I'm not trying to manipulate them, but, man, your, your brothers and sisters are hurting. They need your help. And so he tells them to be generous. He gives them four principles of generosity that apply to us today. The first one is this, that generosity inspires generosity. 
The second principle is that generosity flows out of the one who's experienced generosity. Thirdly, generosity by definition requires sacrifice. And then fourthly, generosity rightly understood is a privilege rightly enjoyed. So Paul breaks down these four points with them. And here we come to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 to get this passage in front of you guys. Paul says this to them. Titus is delivering this letter. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, can you say poverty? Has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond, say beyond, beyond their means of their own accord. Look at this, verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also in being generous. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now... Finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered, gathered little had no lack. There's a lot there I'm going to unpack for you. But the first thing is this, that generosity inspires generosity. Paul's trying to stir the hearts of these wealthy Christians in the city of Corinth, and he does so by appealing to them by giving the example of another church in an area called Macedonia. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. There are people in the city of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. They lived in this area called Macedonia, and Paul's saying they are giving radically. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He says, God has given them the grace, though they are poor, to give generously to help their saints in Jerusalem who are struggling. He's saying that they have suffered a lot of things. Now, if we open the scriptures and look in the book of Acts and other parts of the Bible, we realize that these Christians in Macedonia had a pretty hard life. 
In fact, in Acts chapter 17, we see that they were arrested unjustly for disturbing the peace, telling people about Jesus. And then they were not released from their arrest until they paid an unjust fine. And then there were agitators in crowds They were there to disrupt the Christians from telling people about Jesus. And then they were beaten, persecuted, and Paul says they experienced much affliction. These are these people who live in Macedonia. They had a hard life. And what often happened, it happened in the church of Jerusalem, and probably happened to them was this. Because they were Christians, people refused to do business with them. People refused to buy their crops. People refused to make deals with them. And what happened was the Christians became more and more ostracized from the culture and they could not then make any money to care for themselves. So their faith led them into poverty. And so here these Christians in Macedonia are struggling. But when Paul visited them, he told them about what's going on in Jerusalem. And they're like, man, we're having a tough here. But they even got it worse than us. And so they gave out of their extreme poverty. It's wild. The word extreme means down to the depths. Their poverty, they they were in the pit of poverty, but they said we still can give more to help our brothers and sisters. See, what Paul is doing, he's he's using the radical generosity of the poor to inspire generosity among the wealthy. So here he is with this church in Corinth, like, look, man, they have got nothing. And look what they're giving. He's not trying to guilt trip them. He's not trying to manipulate them. He's just saying, look, they are enjoying the delight of giving. And if you don't do it, you're going to miss out on that. I love how he says it there in verse 2. Their abundance of joy and extreme poverty overflowed. What gave these people so much joy? What's my second point here? Secondly, that generosity flows out of the one who's experienced generosity. There was a reason why these poor Christians were so excited to give out of their poverty. It's because they themselves had experienced generosity. And you think, well, who gave them money? It was a different kind of generosity they experienced. They had abundant joy because of verses 8 and 9. Check that out. Paul says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove my earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. For you know, in verse 9, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here are these Christians in Macedonia who are poor, realize that God has been generous with them. They realize that Jesus, who is the king of kings, who has heaven as his eternal home, left his throne to come on this poor earth in order to save them. And they look at God's generosity toward them. And they say, God, thank you for saving me. I was lost in my sin. I was broken. I had no hope for deliverance. Yet you came and saved me because you were generous, God. And now they're saying, God, how can I not be generous to others? You see, for them, they experienced generosity 
and it gave them joy. And that joy started to overflow, and they started giving to bless others as well. It's a beautiful thing how our joy following Jesus really does move us to love other people. That's what it came down to. They loved other people enough to be hurting at the fact that their brothers and sisters were hurting. Man, it's like, this is not okay. Not on our watch. And so these Macedonians, poor as anything, said, we're going to give. Man, I know some of us here have not experienced the generosity of God. And when we read that, we realize, man, does God love me like that? He needs to know the truth is yes. See, apart from Jesus, you are just stuck in a mess. You've, you've got things in your mind, you've got things in your heart, you've got things in your past, and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. But just like we sang earlier, God came to your rescue. The God who was rich beyond anything became poor, born in a stable, lived in Nazareth, a poor city, grew up as a human, took on this skin and bones, this brokenness, this broken world to save you. And he went to the cross to die for you so that you don't have to die for your sins. And then he rose from the dead so you could be raised to life and for eternity. See, our God has been generous. And if you've never experienced his generosity, all you must do is bow your hearts to him. Say, God, forgive me for my sins. I turn from them, God. I know I'm messed up. I know I've sinned against you, but I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to be adopted into your family. I want this new life. And when you do that, you will experience God's generosity. Life doesn't get easier. (laughs) The Macedonian church had extreme poverty, but they had joy because they knew God was abundant in his generosity toward them. Paul teaches us that generosity inspires generosity. When you see other people who are giving and finding joy in giving, you're kind of like, man, I want to try that. That ever happened to you? The people, you see them giving, they're not bragging about it, but they got so much joy, but you're like, but you ain't got nothing, but you realize their joy is because they're giving. They just love blessing others. And it inspires you to say, hey, I I want to be generous. I want to come along someone, not to lift myself up, but to lift up God so they can praise him. And Paul's saying, check these Macedonians out. Let their generosity inspire you and be reminded that they're generous because they've experienced generosity. The third thing he tells us is that generosity by definition requires sacrifice. He says that they gave, in verse 3, according to their means, but they also gave beyond their means. So, So they realized they're poor, and they gave And they said, I I think we still could give more. I I think there's a little more we still can do here. Because our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are struggling. There's there's still more we could do. See, generosity requires sacrifice. We can't say we're generous, but not sacrificing. Yes, it's good to give. It's great to give. But what God wants is generosity that exceeds, that says, I'm willing to die to some of my comforts, in order to be generous. Well, there's a fourth principle, that generosity, generosity rightly understood is a privilege rightly enjoyed. I love, 
I love how Paul says this. So he goes there to visit these, this church in Macedonia. They're poor as anything. He may not have had any intention to raise money there. It, it seems that that's the case. It seems that he's there with them, and he's talking about what God's doing across the, the, the Roman Empire. And in talking, he says, you know, and the saints in Jerusalem, man, are really struggling just like you guys are. They're losing jobs. They're not getting business deals. They're, they're poor. They're in poverty. And it's like the church in Macedonia is like, well, can we help? And I wonder if Paul's like, man, no, you know, it's all good. You guys are good. But they're like, no, no, can, can we help? And he says it here in verse 4. They begged him earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's like they're saying, Paul, don't let us not get the privilege of helping our brothers and sisters. We're begging you, Paul, take our money to bless the church in Jerusalem. They said, this is a privilege of ours and we're going to enjoy this privilege. Don't take that from us. Man, that's something, isn't it? Uh, I met a guy this past weekend who's a chaplain for the Detroit Lions. He's been a chaplain for 20 years, and he's like, they've won two playoff games since I've been their chaplain. It's like, sorry, bro, man. I, that's bad, right? And so what, what he does, though, he meets and has Bible studies with the Detroit Lions football team every Sunday. And uh, he's telling me stories of different things God is doing. You'll never hear this on the news. Like revival things, Seriously. Husbands and wives on the team inviting other players and families and children to Bible studies in this man's basement. And they were saying one particular season, there was this player on the team, John Kitna, a quarterback for the Detroit Lions, who just was on fire for the Lord. And many people on the team and administration were coming to Christ. And they were so grateful for this chaplain because of his influence. And what they did was they they all pulled their money together, uh, these football players and friends and family. And they bought this chaplain a brand new truck a Denali, in the middle of the recession. I think it was 2008, he was saying. And one day, they're having Bible study downstairs. And at the end of the Bible study, they said, we have a gift for you upstairs. He's like, oh, okay, you know, is it a book or what? Just, just go up. And he went upstairs, and there's a key there. And he's like, what, what's this? He walks outside, sees his brand-new vehicle. And he said the first thing that came to his mind was, I can't drive this to church. He's a pastor. He's like, we're in the middle of a recession. I can't have a brand-new vehicle. And so he felt really like, what am I going to do? I'm just telling our church to be generous. And here I'm rolling up. i got leather seats and heated. Like, so he pulls the quarterback aside and says, look, man, thank you so much. I, I, can't, I can't take this. And the quarterback said this. He says, they will be personally offended if you don't take the gift. Because for them, it was a privilege to bless him. So he said he called his tax guy. He's like, am I going to pay taxes on this too? So <laughs> find out he didn't have to. But it's interesting. It's interesting that for them, they say it was such a privilege because they were so grateful for what God had done in their lives and how he used this man. And he said, we want to bless you and don't withhold from us the privilege of blessing you. And here this church in their bottom of the pit poverty is telling Paul, Paul, don't let us lose the privilege of giving to those other saints who are struggling. I hope you're getting stirred right now. I I hope God's stirring like, man, God, it is a privilege for me to know that I'm going to withhold some of my comforts to come to the aid of brothers and sisters who struggle, to come to the aid of your church so that the good news advances into our society. So all I got to do is sacrifice some things to make that happen for lives to be changed for eternity. God, it is a privilege. And here they are just talking with them. Paul, give us this privilege. And Paul says in verse 5, and this is not as we expected. 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, Paul realizes what happened here. He realizes, like, hey, we didn't coerce them. We weren't even trying to raise this money. But because they recognized first that they belonged to God, then they recognized they had a responsibility for their brothers. And so they stepped to the plate and Paul's just like in awe of what these, these people did here. You know, I think sometimes we get this order mixed up and we think that by giving to others, it makes us right with God. It's not the case. Paul said they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others. Generosity will not make you right with God. And similarly, stinginess can make you wrong with God. You see, when we're generous, this guy's not like, man, I'm so impressed. You know, I love you. Come, come be part of my family. No, we must first give ourselves to God because he's given himself to us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, then we can be generous to others. But once he's been generous to us and we start withholding, God's like, what about the generosity I gave you? My son. Jesus says, I left the throne for you. I took on skin and bones for you. Will you be generous? So Paul here, he's, just, he's stirring on this wealthy church. I'm, I'm going to come and collect this offering, but man, I hope you're ready when we get there. I hope you're ready. Well, there in verses 10 and following, he says, And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits to you, benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desired to do it. He's saying, the first time Titus showed up there and he gave you this idea, you were excited about it a year ago. Well, now a year has passed. Are you still excited about doing it? He says, so now, verse 11, finish doing it well. Paul's saying, follow through on your generous commitment. Intention is a good thing, but intentions don't deliver, do they? You can intend on changing the oil in your car. You can intend on going to the gym. You can intend on reading more this year. You can intend on a lot of things, but until you follow through, that intention means nothing. And Paul's saying, church in Corinth, you guys intended to be generous. It's time to follow through. When I think of follow through, I think of Steph Curry and his jump shot. You ever see that guy shoot? One of the best shooters in NBA history. What's that pose? Do it. You got it. Right here. This is his follow through. He just holds that thing. And I was doing some research, like, what's the point of holding that pose? Is he just trying to look nice here? And what he said was this. When you shoot a good jump shot, there's a number of things that need to happen. You need to, you need to balance yourself well. You need to get a, good, get a good square base, face the rim. And he said, you always see these three rings that hold the net up. And you've got to look at those three rings. Elevate comfortably and follow through. The follow through gets the right spin on the ball in order for the ball to travel as it needs to toward the rim. And the truth is, you can square up rightly, you, you can have your eyes on the rim, you can elevate properly, but if you don't follow through, it will affect your shot. And Paul is saying here, hey, church in Corinth, you've done everything. you squared up. You said you're going to do it. You have your eyes in the right place, but if you don't follow through, it's not going to matter here. And so a lot of us, there's been times in our lives we thought, you know what, I'm stirred, I want to be generous, I want to give, I want to help out. And all these intentions, you've squared your base, you've set your eyes, and now you've got to follow through. You've got to follow through with it. I know there's been times in my life I haven't followed through on my commitments. 
I think we can all say there's times we haven't done that. And even times we haven't done so with our financial commitments, our, our desires to be generous. Here are three things that might help you follow through on your generous thoughts. Maybe God's even stirring things in your heart right now. You say, I know God wants me to be more generous. I, I've been stingy. I, I've hoarded. And it's time for me to let go. The first thing I want you to do is this. Test the substance of your intention. Why did you intend to be generous? If the intention is rooted in you and your name and your reputation or just feeling good about yourself, it doesn't have much substance to it. But if your generosity is fueled by the fact that you have received generosity from God, that's something different. So check the substance of your intention. Secondly, cement your goals by sharing it with someone. Say, hey, look, I want to be generous. I intend on being generous. Will you help me stay accountable to being generous? And the third thing is some ways and some ways you give, you can give automatically, give automated. Honestly, that's what Erica and I do. When when there's different commitments we make, we just set up automated giving because we're like, I forget. I know I do. I want to follow through on our intentions to be generous. Paul says this, church, you've got to follow through. Generosity is a loving response the joyful Christian cannot resist. Generosity means sacrifice. It's our loving response because we care for those we're being generous toward. It flows from our joy, and we just can't resist doing it because we know it's a privilege. I'm not going to talk details about giving beyond that today. Next week, we'll talk more about practical, hands-on things. But again, Paul doesn't do that here because he wants to give them a framework, as I want to give you today. The framework is this. Generosity inspires generosity. Generosity flows out of one who's experienced generosity. Generosity, by definition, requires sacrifice, and generosity, rightly understood, is a privilege rightly enjoyed. We're not talking dollar amounts. I even wondered as I was reading this, I wonder how much the Church of Macedonia gave. They lived in the pit of poverty. And I even wondered if one person in Corinth could have gave more than the entire Macedonian church did. It wouldn't have surprised me. But what I love here is Paul's like, that's not the point. The point is that they were generous. And that's the point God wants you to hear. That he wants you to be generous. We have arrays of incomes and financial obligations and I don't know your situation, but God knows it. God knows our hearts, and he knows when we are being generous or not. I I think there are several things that hinder us from from being generous. At at least four. I'm going to touch on these briefly and then land the plane here for you guys. The the first thing is fear. We fear generosity because we don't know what it's going to do to our own bank account. And and some of that's an appropriate kind of fear because there's a wisdom, isn't there? God tells us to be good stewards of what we have. Save money. Have a savings account. Put money in the savings account that you have. Keep the money in the savings account that you put in there. That's a good thing, and it's a good thing to aim for. But don't hoard it. Hold it with an open hand and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? And so I think fear, though, can cause us to tighten that grip. Second thing is that hinders us from being generous is that we love money. Remember, it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the money itself, but it's the love of it. How much do you love money? 
Like really, why do you love it? Does it make you feel good? Like you accomplished something? Ask yourself, God, am I, am I loving money to a degree that's preventing me from actually obeying you, God? A third hindrance to being generous, which I find most common in our culture, is that we live beyond our means. We live way beyond our means, and when it comes time to be generous, we've got nothing to be generous with, not because we don't have money, but we've allocated in all other kinds of places, oftentimes in places they shouldn't be. So I want you to relook that. Say, God, are we living beyond our means? Where can we scale back here to increase our generosity? And a fourth hindrance is sometimes we just don't love people enough to be generous. We don't love them enough to let our hearts ache because of them. And so we can know we're being generous when we check those four things. Are we afraid? Are we loving money? Are we living beyond our means? Do we love people? And one thing that I like to do at the end of the year, and this is sometimes an encouragement and sometimes a rebuke, um, I get my income tax statement, I find out how much we made, and I get my giving statements from the places we give, and I find out how much we give. And I start looking, did what we give correlate to what we made? And I'll tell more details about that next week. But that's, that's a, that doesn't lie. <laughs> you know, we, we could think we're generous, but those kind of facts don't lie. And there's been times I've been rebuked by that. And we, we've had to repent, saying, God, we need to up this thing. And there's other times we said, man, God, thank you for helping us here. And it's something we've got to continually revisit. It's something I want you to revisit. It's, it's generosity that I want to be emblazoned on your mind. For God's glory, not for your own. Church family, we want to give together because we want to see God move among us. We want to see those who are hurting We want to see people come to their aid. We want to see this church not be hindered financially to do what we believe God is calling us to do. We'll talk some about that in the vision luncheon. But at the end of the day, church, are we being generous? Are we being generous? Because after all, generosity is the loving response the joyful Christian just cannot resist. Let's pray. God, I know that uh, talking about money sometimes can be uncomfortable, and, and Lord, we just want to acknowledge that. Lord, I, I think there are two abuses that often happen in churches, talking about money too much, making everything about money, making false promises about money, false expectations and things that dishonor you. But on the other side is talking too little about money. God, we realize that money is essential in our lives, And we also realize how tempting it is to love it. And so, God, we just want to be faithful this morning. And say, God, instruct our hearts. And, God, may we, out of the abundance of our joy, be radical in our generosity. And, Lord, I pray that we just find joy in that. And we wouldn't brag about it. People don't need to know what we gave. They they don't need to know what we did. But Lord, we do it because we love you, we love others, and we want to see this good news of the gospel advance. Help us, Lord. Help us to this end 
And lastly, Lord, even once more, I just want to say, God, for those here who don't know you, who have never experienced your generosity, Lord, I pray you would do it this morning. God, I pray they would just hold it back. They would stop trying to figure out life without you. And Lord, they would see that you, God, have given them all they need by sending Jesus, that they would turn to you, that they believe in you, that they ask your forgiveness and receive it, Lord, even today. Father, even as we finish this last song, as prayer counselors come forward, move our hearts to pray, to pray with other people, to shout out your praises, to let our lives be an act of worship to you, God. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, let's rise to our feet. A prayer team, would you come forward?